Hi everyone, welcome back to this week's podcast. I'm Stephen Hattiesides from the Medical Business Academy and I have a very special guest, someone that's been in the industry for a very long time, Ryan Miller from Aetna Interactive. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Stephen, thanks. It's great to be here. So, Ryan, Aetna Interactive, you've had this business now for, for quite some time. I mean, how many, how many years? You're, you're a veteran in the industry and you look so young, so obviously all the yeah. anti-aging stuff is doing well for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky enough that uh, so I've, I've had at Interactive uh, an agency today that's uh, 65 consultants strong uh, for 15 years now. And then before that, I was lucky enough to uh, spend about five years working with uh, a network that uh, consisted of roughly 32 plastic surgery practices around the U.S. before I split off and, and started the consultancy. Wow. Well, Ryan, I am super excited. This is um, our first podcast that we're doing, and I think it's going to be uh, one of many. You're a, a wealth of knowledge specifically in this industry, uh, but really have that expertise around marketing, which I know it's the same scenario all around the world where um, healthcare professionals, they come in, they want to set up a practice, but really do struggle with that whole uh, business part, marketing. They love to be involved in the marketing. It's exciting. And, and today we're going to be talking about how the Facebook uh, algorithm change killed social posting and elevated social advertising. Now, we've all got Facebook, even my mother's got Facebook, uh, but it's obviously changed since, um, you know, it was really just to post photos about our favorite locations and vacations and connecting with friends and family. So, um, yeah, do you want to just tell us a little bit, really sort of, um, I suppose you're the topic here and how it's all changed? Yeah, you know, I think if we roll back five to eight years, the promise, I think the excitement around social media was this idea that, uh, well, free publicity was right around the corner, that if we were just smart enough to come up with that perfect viral post, that we, uh, we could enjoy massive exposure. It would attract tons of new patients. It would cost us nothing. Um, and uh, we might, along the way, sort of enjoy a kind of social celebrity. And I think the reality is now, let's fast forward to today, that, um, well, regardless, let's, let's, you know, let's think about for your audience, let me ask you guys a question. Try to, try to name the social celebrities in your unique medical specialty and see, see if you can get past five fingers. See if you can get past two or three fingers, right? And so that early promise that got everybody so excited of a fame, celebrity, free promotion, uh, for most practices, well, it, it just never really, it never really manifests. And what people realized fairly early on was that for social media to work, um, we had to have clever and engaging posts. We had to devote a significant amount of time and energy to generating original and authentic content coming out of our own practices. And then what's really evolved this year is that those first two pieces simply are no longer enough. And that without the support of social advertising to increase your spread, the distribution, the visibility of your, your content, really you can't expect much of a return at all. And Ryan, I mean, how has social media, you know, changed in your perspective in terms yeah. of the ideal platform that uh, practices should use? Because as, as you know, I mean, 
There's new social media platforms popping up all the time. You know, I constantly hear things about, well, you know, we've got the, the new millennials coming through. We need to prepare for them. They're a lot more visual. Uh, but, you know, Facebook, it just seems like everyone's on Facebook. Uh, is is Facebook, you know, the ideal platform uh, still for um, for businesses in, in our sector? Yeah, it, you know, Stephen, one of the things I, I want to respect is that you have a global audience. And the answer is going to vary a little bit as we go country by country. But for most of the countries in the world today, what we're going to find is that Facebook still has the largest distribution. They have the, the largest network, the largest spread across ages. And so it's a very safe place for practices to start. Now, the answer might differ slightly if we were looking at uh, um, for an individual country or practice that has a very narrow specialty. Uh, but uh, second in line, typically, we're going to be looking at Instagram. Now, it's worth noting well, Facebook and Instagram, they're both owned by Facebook. And their behaviors today, although Facebook is uh, a little bit further ahead in terms of their, their policies and the unique features of their platform, Facebook and Instagram behave very, very similarly today. So you can think of both of them, uh, well, as a pair when you're approaching your strategies that relates to social media. Now, um, that said, uh, it's certainly there are opportunities today for practices, especially in uh, the Western countries, to you know, focus on uh, emerging platforms like Snapchat if they have a very young audience that they're targeting. And as we, we go overseas and we start looking at uh, the Asian market, well, the, the spectrum of social platforms they're going to choose are going to be completely different than those that we might choose here in the West. So um, be sure that you're tailoring the strategy for what's happening in your market. But uh, for most of us in the West, it's going to be an easy choice to start with Facebook and Instagram bearing how much you invest based on what your overall goals are. Now, Ryan, I mean, you've talked about how, you know, this shift from how Facebook's changed this algorithm from, you know, social posting um, to social advertising. I I know in, in our company, it's, you know, it was really imperative to make sure we plan. We had a good uh, communications um, content strategy where we'd be constantly posting really, really good content. Um, and we've spent a lot of money on building up our fans and our followers on on something like Facebook. But then there has just been this shift to uh, Facebook saying, well, you're not going to, um, if you post something, you're not going to see all your own fans unless you, you pay to play. Uh, so can you tell yeah. us a little bit about how this now social advertising has really sort of kicked in and, and what we need to start thinking about? Well, yeah, I think, to put it in perspective, it actually it helps to, to piece together a bit of a chronology. So before 2013, roughly, um, if you were posting on a Facebook business page, uh, you could enjoy roughly the same distribution for your content as posts that were coming from people's you know, friends and family. That the content was woven into someone's news feed um, in, in a way that was very, uh, very fair, was very even. And then after 2013, what we saw is that Facebook was feeling some significant pressures to finally begin to monetize the platform. And they shifted their algorithm, the formula that determines how frequently and which posts show up in people's news feeds. They made that initial shift, and most people didn't realize that you know, for the last roughly five years, their posts have actually enjoyed a much diminished, diminished distribution even before this year's more recent change. So what I mean by that is, let's actually try to put some numbers behind it. Uh, most uh, who study the algorithm report out that uh, without using paid promotion, a lot of people will be familiar with the idea of boosting 
your posts, but using that, that maybe somewhere close to two in 100 of your followers were even exposed to your posts uh, when you weren't paying, as you said, paying to play. So that, that was, that's the last five years. It's already been in a place where social advertising or investing in social media, actually putting dollars behind your posts, sorry, been to the place where that was incredibly important. Well, what happened in January 11th of this year is the algorithm changed again. Now, Facebook said, they, they, they came out, they had a big public release. They said, look, we've studied this thing very carefully. And what we found is that you're, you're well, basically what it, I'll paraphrase here. What we found is that your business posts are they're bumming people out. It's not what people want to see. So we're going to start to show it a lot less. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call BS on that one. That's not actually what was happening. <laughs> you know, Facebook knew very well that they created a kind of ideological echo chamber, that they studied what every individual Facebook user liked, what they interacted with, uh, what they commented upon, and then um, they tended to show Facebook users more of that same style of content. And Facebook knew they were going to be coming under fire for this exact practice, for the function of their algorithm. Um, from the U.S. Congress, specifically as it related to Facebook's role in, or suspected role in influencing our last elections. Um, and they said, well, boy, we better get out ahead of this, and we better do something about it. We better dial back how much commercial content is making it into uh, people's news feeds when it's not labeled as commercial content. Oh, and by the way, this is probably a really great way for us to boost ad sales. So no big surprise, they came out with this announcement uh, months later, uh, of course, we all know now that uh, Zuckerberg was called in front of, of Congress and had to answer for some of the behavior of their platform. But what we need to understand today is that if we're not paying, if we're not using either Facebook ads or boosting our post content, that uh, some smaller fraction of 1% of all of the people who've liked us, uh, some people will think of uh, followed us on Facebook, who've clicked that, that button to connect with you on site. On, the, on that platform, less than 1% are ever going to see your content unless there's money behind it. Wow. That's what we are that today. Bad. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, everyone, I, I suppose that, uh, you know, I've, you know, been working with practices for the last 15 years and, you know, they've always thought social media is a cost-effective strategy, but I think at the in the earlier days when, you know, social media came out, I think there was again a misunderstanding where practices just thought, well, let's just set up a Facebook page and let the business roll in. And, and as you know, you know, where social media got invented in the first place was, was sharing photos with, with trusted friends and family. And, and it was yeah. always the same, you know, the same situation is that social media is a long-term strategy. You know, it's there to build uh, trust with um, those types of followers or fans to then for them to feel confident to, to sort of buy into what we're doing as, as, as a company or as a service. But now with advertising involved, does this mean that it can be uh, used as, uh, as a tool for more immediate results uh, than just a long-term sort of strategy? Yeah, I, and, I, and I think we can't stress enough the fact that uh, an investment in any new platform is definitely a long-term play that when you take the time to look at, uh, you know, what it would take to be successful right out of the gate today, you know, 
starting cold on Facebook or Instagram, you, you don't have any followers. You don't have necessarily the expertise, even when you do have the support of an agency partner. And so building a base um, that can influence the ultimate advertising strategy is going to be really important. So uh, definitely let's honor what you said there, which is this is a long-term play. Now, um, let me make the connection between the accumulation of fans and followers and how we might ultimately use Facebook for advertising. You know, some of the power that we find in social media today is the ability for us to, to uh, craft is maybe the wrong word, to gather what are called lookalike audiences. So um, Facebook provides all kinds of valuable ways that we can structure ads, ads that are focused on growing fan count, ads that are uh, in support of branding to, to get your your brand in front of potential consumers, and then uh, ads that are focused more on immediate lead generation, right? So we have, we have lots of options on how we can apply the platform, but they're all more effective when we have a solid base of followers that know, that are connected with, and ideally who've done business with our brand in the past. And the why there is that we can use those followers, we can use the, the people who've connected with your business to then um, ask Facebook to help us to find what's called a lookalike audience, to find people who have similar interests, have similar income, are connected in similar ways, that like other businesses, like the people who've already chosen to do business with your practice. And so when, um, when we start talking about uh, social advertising today, yes, there's the opportunity for immediacy, more immediacy, especially as we're talking about lead generation ads, uh, more immediacy than we've had in the past, but we can't overlook the importance of still having invested the time to build a really great following on the platform, a following that will inform our advertising uh, targeting going forward. So, Roy, what do you uh, think from your experience if someone was putting together a social media strategy, uh, the, the practice manager, or you obviously work with your team, work with the practice, I presume, and in, in putting together a a good yeah. social media plan that integrates lots of different platforms together. What, what would that ideally look like in terms of a, a, a good social media plan? Yeah, it, I always like to go back to this when we're talking about strategy. You know, there's the presum presumption today that uh, it's an imperative that you and your practice are active on social media, and, and the reality is it's not the case. You know, there would certainly be instances where there would be a better, more cost-effective, more viable strategies for a clinic to help them reach their goals. And um, so this idea that uh, you're somehow morally obligated to be present on social media, uh, it, it's just not the case. Because if you're gonna do it, what we would realize is that you, you really do need to con you know, focus on doing it well and consistency is such an important thing there. If you don't believe that you can make a consistent contribution to uh, social media, you know, routinely producing original content, and actually let me, let me explain what that might look like. Um, it could be as, as little as three to five original posts coming out of the practice each week. But if you don't believe that you can do that, if you don't think you have the staff or the fortitude uh, to make that kind of time investment, uh, better, better not to start. When you do start, our next strategic recommendation is that you focus on doing one platform and doing it well until you get your social media legs underneath you, so to speak, right? Until you have a sense of what generating that content looks like, what kinds of things your audience engages with, how to manage the relationship between your staff where you're, you're going to need to rely on your team to gather those original photos, videos, post content, and maybe the agency that's supporting you. 
while you work all of that stuff out, it's easier if you're not trying to do three or four or five platforms at once. Once you've got those legs underneath you, be sure that you understand which platforms actually are going to best serve your specific goals. Now, if you tell me that you are a you know facial cosmetic surgery practice, you're really, really interested in driving facelift business, we're going to have to talk about which specific social media platforms we're likely to find those candidates on. It's more likely that we'll perhaps find them on, on Facebook. If you tell me, on the other hand, that uh, you're a younger practice, you're focusing on a sort of a preventative injectables business and rhinoplasty, well, we're probably going to be spending a lot more time and energy building a strategy in which we're focusing on Instagram as a platform. Right? So a clear articulation and understanding of your goals are going to allow you to zero in on where you're going to find those patients. And in terms of the actual content, I mean, I've seen yeah. uh, some uh, plastic surgeons that have had got amazing followers and they're posting a lot of before and after photos, a lot of case studies. Is that something which really, really works with social media? Is that part of the strategy? So it's not just that there's, there's, there's a combination of other pieces of content. What, what's, what's your uh, feedback on that? Yeah, I mean, diversity is definitely going to be key in terms of attracting your audience. And uh, the content itself should be a part of a broader strategy in which you understand uh, your, your voice, um, your particular message as a business, the brand of the business overall, and uh, what you're hoping to achieve. Certainly before and after photography across all of the different aesthetic disciplines is going to be an important part of that mix. And it does tend to transcend any, any particular voice. You know, for the practice that's looking to be funny and approachable, they're still going to mix in before and after photography, as is the practice that's focused on uh, sort of clinical excellence and experience. Right? So uh, that particular example that you gave is a fairly ubiquitous one. But when we move past before and after photography, we start talking about what other types of interesting, original, authentic content is going to come out of the practice. Uh, well, it, it's going to vary based on the particular message the practice is trying to put out there. You know, and that, the first example I gave, the practice that's looking at being you know, friendly and approachable, they're going to share fun moments from around the office. They're going to share candid situations that uh, reflect the staff, both interacting with patients and then interacting with each other, uh, just you know, fighting their way through their day. For the practice that's focusing on clinical excellence and experience, we're going to see more interactions, more video content, more photos that depict their, their physicians or medical directors as KOLs at the podium teaching and learning. Um, and uh, doing more how-tos and live demonstrations, uh, administering those procedures in which they want to be seen as the experts. So content will vary again, aligned with what it is that the practice is hoping to achieve, what it's all going to have in common. The content that works is that it will be authentic. It's going to come out of the practice. And we'll contrast that against the, you know, what we see, unfortunately, happening all too often with practices that are trying to shortcut social media. They hire an agency that has an inexpensive content package, they're, we say, regurgitating, they're reusing content from third parties that really has no direct relevance or no reflection on, on your practice. And what we see as a result is that content tends to get very, very low engagement, low uptake, low comments, low likes, low shares. Right? And all of those things are the kiss of death in terms of social media performance. That's correct. I mean, just in terms of the actual uh, employees, the staff, if the business owner was wanting to use social media internally, which staff members have you, from your experience, have really been the best in terms of managing the social media? Is it the person at the front desk? Is it the practice manager? 
everyone's running around like headless chickens a lot of the time. So what's your, what's your advice on that? Boy, Stephen, this is, I think you hit on the, I think one of the biggest challenges for practices today. Uh, you know, we're all busy. Everybody in the practice has a job to do. And the easiest thing would be to say, well, I want to outsource all of this to an agency. And unfortunately, what we found is, well, that can work very, very well for advertising. For the actual content of the posts, our particular, inside of our agency, our particular approaches, we actually mandate that our, our clients have a designated representative that is our point person for social media with whom we will plan our, mo- our monthly posting calendars, our editorial calendars, and on whom we will rely to get the original photography and the videos we need to achieve that authenticity. The practice, um, you know, if you, if you look at where they're going to go for, for staffing that internal role, the challenge that the practice faces uh, very often is one, first, do I have someone who I trust with the voice of the practice? Do I have a member of my team who I think is going to write in a way that will um, sort of honor what we're all about and, and not be full of errors? And most of our team, when we're recruiting, we're not recruiting them for their, their copywriting skills. On the other side, do they have both the skill, the ability to capture the imagery, to capture the video that we need? And do they have the interest to stay motivated and connected? I think there's actually a third issue in the middle, which is, did we take the time to create the space for that person to contribute and actually modify their job description so that we reflect this new area of responsibility and we can measure it each year when we come back and evaluate their performance inside their role? So um, those are the things, the writing ability, the interest in the ability to capture media, and then creating the space for them to do it. And what we see today is most often um, two roles are being pegged for contribution to social media. In practices that have an aesthetic staff, um, it's very, very common to see either the aesthetic practice manager, if it's a separate role, um, and or one of the lead estheticians uh, being a kind of a chief contributor on social media because um, very often we know that social media is going to be successful at promoting non-surgical services. We see often in those roles a generation of people who are already thinking about building their practice using social media, so their mind is there, and many of them are digital natives, right? They're of an age where they grew up at a time where they're very comfortable on social media. So that tends to be a pretty easy pick, um, although if they're successful, they get busy very quickly and they no longer have the time to support that contribution. Uh, the other area where we see it happening very often is either in the receptionist role, so the person who's um, at the front desk or um, a marketing coordinator, hybrid marketing coordinator role inside the office. And so um, looking at those two roles, we're looking at sort of administrative and support functions inside the office. Again, these are often people who have other areas of responsibility. And we advise it's going to be very important that you take the time if you're going to delegate these responsibilities that you honor the person who you hired, modify their job description to reflect that you're giving them new responsibilities, and have that open conversation to ask what training and what time are we going to need to give you in order for you to be successful in that role? We've actually had to develop a whole series of, of training camps for um, our clients to help them as they, they try to address this exact question. Well, that's great. And I think also the, the measurement that we were, I suppose, were all focused on in the early days was all about how many numbers can you get on social media? You know, how many fans, how many followers? But as, as you know, I mean, it's, it's, you can have as many followers as you want, but unless the engagement's there, then it's better to have a smaller audience, which is more engaged, I, I would presume. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if we look at uh, some of the, the recent announcements coming out of some of the major social media platforms, Twitter's a great example. 
uh, where uh, there was a big shakeup on Wall Street because we saw the social media platforms doing what we want them to do if we're an investor community, which is purging those numbers, those accounts that really aren't active and concentrating on the accounts that are, in fact, active, that are devout users of the platform. Um, in doing so, uh, they, they took a lot of a heat, and they, they actually they paid a financial price for really honesty, right? For focusing in on um, a true representation of the number of people who are engaged. And unfortunately, I think what ends up happening is if we motivate our staff by a simple number like fan count or followers, right, we're encouraging them to go out and use tactics that attract sometimes followers that aren't even real users um, or to connect with people that really don't know or engage with the brand and inflate our own perception of the value of social media. And instead, I think, much better to look at things that are true measures of engagement. Both Facebook and Instagram provide us with, with uh, insight reports that allow us to see how people are engaging with the content we're posting. And those things, those uh, the, you know, the amount of time that our, our posts were actually consumed, that they were liked, shared, and commented upon, are some of the best indicators as to whether our content strategy is working. Now, I think for most business owners, though, they're going to look at it and say, hey, guys, you need to show me the bottom line. What's the money that we're making from social media? What ultimately, new, which of our new patients can we attribute back to our investment in this platform? And fortunately, today, we can actually we can measure those things as well. That's great. Ryan, that has been absolutely phenomenal to talk because I think, you know, things have changed. And I think it's just trying to understand how it's going to affect our business. Um, I think that whole yeah. shift in the algorithm now where we need to have a budget for advertising on uh, on social media if we really do want to make it make it successful but you also really you know you talk about you know the importance of having that content strategy as well you know without a good strategy and a good content plan then we're going to be spending on on social media which is not going to get the right results for us absolutely so Ryan if anyone wants to uh, you know get in contact uh, learn more about your company where do they go yeah, of course, you can visit us online at etnainteractive.com. That's E-T-N-A, interactive.com. And I welcome your questions directly as well. My email address is just ryan at etnainteractive.com. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm sure all our listeners um, have found it just invaluable. So thank you. Stephen, for me as well, thank you.